as difficult times emerged and confronted the business, we did not compromise our values and take the path of expediency. We remain bound to the commitments we've made to our people and they believe in us. Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. Joining me today is Chuck Frydenborg, CEO of Market Muse, a company with the mission to improve content across the internet and at the intersection of AI, SEO, and content strategy. Chuck joined Market Muse in November 2018 as SVP of Sales, became Chief Revenue Officer in February 2020, and was promoted into the role of CEO in November of 2020. Chuck, it's uh, been a while. We interviewed you, my guest host. Uh, gosh, that's got to be over a year and a half ago now, I feel like, probably going on two years ago. And uh, uh, since I didn't have the opportunity to interview you, I thought it was time that uh, that I did so. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Carol. It's my pleasure. So tell me what is the biggest problem that Market Muse is solving for your clients? Our clients, like any company that's creating content at scale, are mm-hmm. challenged to create content that is going to inform their audience, uh, enhance uh, or sustain uh, their perception, uh, the perception of thought leadership uh, around their brand, uh, and do so in a way which engages that audience. And, And at the same time, they need to create content that, to be blunt, can be found. Um, you know, that old saying, you know, if a, if a tree falls in the forest, does it make any noise? You can create the the most wonderful content in the world. If your audience can't find it, what does it all mean? All right. And, Mm -hmm. and there is a constant battle within content creation groups between, Mm -hmm. uh, the editors and the writers, which are trying to create that, that, that Mm -hmm. effective content and the SEO professionals that want to make sure that that content is found. We, we bridge their interests and enable both groups to be successful. Interesting. When you say producing content at scale, what do you mean exactly by that? Well, I mean, content is... That, that would have to be relative depending on the company, wouldn't it? Of For course. Who's producing it? But, you know, but, you know, content that's written periodically with, without a plan or determined business objective and cadence is not going to be successful. Right. If you're going to create content, that content has to have purpose. What is the business issue you're trying mm-hmm. to drive? What are you mm-hmm. trying to com- accomplish through the creation of that content? Uh, are, right. are you trying to create a purchasing action? Are you trying to inform your audience? Are you trying to associate your brand with the leaders in your space? Right. What are you trying to do and who are you trying to educate? That requires systematic content creation. And that more than anything is what we mean when we refer to content at scale. Clearly, a a content creation group of two 
you know, they, they may be looking to create or optimize five pieces of content a month. Mm-hmm. A large retailer may be looking to create a hundred pieces of content right. a month. It depends right. on what the objective is and the systematic commitment mm-hmm. to the creation of that content. Got it. So Market Muse was founded in 23 by Aki uh, Balog. Uh, as a science project <laughs> to build an AI system that benefits society. And in 2014, the first pilot was launched uh, with a major publisher led by Jeff Coyle. And, and, and you can tell me who that is in a minute, who sure. subsequently joined uh, as Aki's co-founder in 2015. Um, and, and your total fundraising to date has, has been about $8 million. So who is Jeff Coyle? How did, uh, how did he and Aki get together? And, and what has your investors interested in, in investing, you know, in Market Muse? Sure. So first off, um, Aki, um, as he was creating this content, and, and if you know Aki, the fact that this started as a personal challenge, a personal project would not be mm-hmm. surprising. Um, he was intrigued uh, about the space and saw uh, companies that had a challenge creating content as we spoke about at scale, mm-hmm. but doing so in a way where that content would perform in search. And right. in his networking, in his ability to, in, in his effort to inform himself about the challenges of the space, he interacted with, with Jeff Coyle. Uh, Jeff at mm-hmm. the time uh, was head of SEO, uh, demand gen, and content strategy at Tech Target. Um, and as they began to collaborate, um, Jeff became very intrigued about uh, the business impact Aki Science Project uh, could have. Uh, they started that that pilot. Uh, it was very successful, uh, and the feedback they got from that pilot publisher was, you know, this this should be commercialized. Uh, you have an opportunity here, and and right. once they received that validation uh to what they were doing uh jeff decided to join aki as as co-founder and really the the current version of market muse was born right um so you asked me about our investors yeah uh what are what our investors see in market muse is a company that is is uniquely positioned uh to enable companies to achieve their content goals at a time where content creation has become more and more critical, right? If we right. go back five years, you know, content was just looked at as let's, let's write a lot of it and, and, you know, get our brand out mm-hmm. there. Companies are now realizing <clears throat> that content is the most proven, consistent source of demand gen right. that is available to them. Right. And when, you know, as you know, once you associate an effort with dollars and ROI, you're Mm -hmm. going to get investment, you're going to get focus. And, and that, you know, what we are working to do is, is leap into that ever increasing business need. Right. So I want to talk a little bit more about, you know, the whole market that you're in, because I mean, I certainly, I mean, I don't think a day goes by that I don't get emails or LinkedIn spam with people trying to sell me services like like this. Now I'm not saying that they're on the same level as Market Muse, but you know everybody says they're going to solve your problems, right? Sure. And you know, for people listening, how do you 
I mean, why is there so much, so much of a, gosh, I don't even know what the word is, but it's like, there's just so much going on in the industry. How does one really determine, do these guys know what they're doing? Um, how, how do I, you know, decide if I should be using this company versus that company? You know, what separates you from other companies, et cetera? There's a lot of noise. <laughs> it's yeah, there is. Um, and what I'd say it's, it's less about, do they know what they're doing and more about what do you want? Right. Uh, we tell our prospects all the time, if all you want is to get content to perform in search, then frankly, you shouldn't work with us because there are hundreds, if not thousands thousands. of of SEO agencies Mm -hmm. that you can go to or, you know, places where you can go and and purchase keyword data and you can use that data to try to, for lack of a better term, trick the search engine algorithms yes. into getting your content to perform. Yeah. Like like and black hat stuff, right? Exactly. <laughs> Which I know exactly. some people use. Yeah. What we want are clients that obviously want that content to be found, like we talked about in the first moments of our yep. conversation. Yep. But our ideal client profile is the mm-hmm. company that is equally concerned about what happens next. Right? Mm-hmm. What happens when they find that content and they click on it? Does it inform them, right? Mm-hmm. Does it lead them to want to consume more of your content? Right. Or go look at somebody else's, right? And right. and this is critical. We were talking about that demand gen thing a couple min- a few minutes ago. I'll I'll poke a little fun at myself. I started my career in sales in the right. 90s. Then you couldn't go up on Google and and search endlessly about my company and and our competitors, right? You had to pick up the phone and say, oh my God, I hate I this, but can I speak to a salesperson? Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, what that did is that gave the sales organization complete control right. over that prospect's pre-sale journey. Mm-hmm. If they got a case study or a reference, they got it from me. Right. Anything that I gave them to consume as they used to evaluate their decision, it was because I hand-selected that piece of content or that information, mm-hmm. and I handed it to them, right? right. Contrast right. that with now. Yeah. Companies are now two-thirds to three-quarters of the way through their decision-making process before they reach out to their shortlist of vendors for the first time. What they're doing during that time is they're consuming your content. And if mm-hmm. every piece of content you write is not optimized, meaning if, it, if it's not written in a way that informs them, if it doesn't engage them, if it's not accurate or current, you are losing the majority of your pipeline before you, know, before you even know that pipeline right. is there. Right? That's the business impact. And what we want are the companies that understand that, understand that they not only have to create new content that's going to engage their audience, but they have to make sure that every piece of existing content is fit for purpose. So they, you know, the existing content is, you know, often can be, might be going back and and rewriting and adjusting stuff, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we talk about evergreen organic content as really being our 
our sweet spot. So as I had mentioned, you joined uh, Market Muse in 2018 as SVP of sales um, and, and you know, moved into the chief revenue officer role um, in early 2020. You spent 11 months in that role before being, being promoted to CEO. Um, you know, and, and as you already said, I wanted to talk about, you got your career started in sales. Tell me a little bit about your journey to Market Muse, and then what had you move up the food chain so quickly? My my journey to Market Muse to Market Muse, I think, was was really interesting. I, I was I was very blessed uh, in that I grew up professionally uh, at at Gartner at uh, during a period of of extraordinary growth. Uh, I joined that company uh, a couple years out of school, so you know, late eighties, I think, at the time. Gartner was an $80 million company. Uh, and when I left in 2009, uh, it was over $2 billion. Um, and I, I learned so much. Yeah. Um, I, I learned so much about, about just being a professional and, and preparation uh, and, and just everything about how to, how to care for a customer, uh, how to uh, make sure that you know their needs come before um, you know your personal goals, and that if you do the right thing all the time, that success that you're you're yearning for, it, it's it's the it's the result of the action. It can't be the goal of the action. Um, right. Being at that being at that company as long as I was, it was you know twenty years. Um, mm-hmm was an extraordinary opportunity for me to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, I had started right. in administrative roles there. I didn't join uh, in the sales organization. Uh, I articulated a desire to get in sales. Uh, in order to do that, I had to spend a couple of years uh, learning the business on the technology side, uh, then moving into, into some really entry-level uh, client-facing roles. Uh, and then I had a, had the opportunity to join sales as an individual contributor. Um, I did very well, and after a couple of years, uh, moved into leadership. And over the years, you know, the the teams got bigger and the targets got higher, um, yeah. and so you know, I new. had a lot of success. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, you reach, frankly, you reach a point where, at least for me, I had to make a decision. Did I want right. to be uh, a career-long sales leader, which is, you know, an incredible, you know, profession, mm-hmm. or, or did I want to try to make the transition from being a sales leader uh, to a business leader? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Gardner. I mean, they're still extraordinarily successful to this day. You know, they didn't yeah. really need to come to Chuck and say, "Hey." What do you think about our go-to-market strategy? Um, you know, do you think that you know this new suite of products will 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 you know be a, a hit with the market? You know, they you know they they gave me a number and they expected me to make it, and you know right. I eventually decided oh, oh, oh. I needed I wanted to learn, I needed to expand, mm-hmm. so I I made the jump to Rosetta Stone. Right at the time, uh, Rosetta Stone was selling primarily into uh, government and into higher education, and they brought mm-hmm. me on board uh, to scale out a, a segment of the organization that would mm-hmm. uh, that would target corporations. 
And, you know, what I felt was that that would give me a lot of the, while leveraging my sales experience, that would give me the operational experience and the experience of building something as opposed to managing something. Right. And uh, I was there six years and had, um, had really a wonderful, wonderful experience there as well. Um, Frankly, Rosetta Stone, um, as uh, their consumer business evolved and more freemium um, uh, technology-based language learning offerings became available, uh, Rosetta Stone started to struggle. Um, and you know, I decided after almost six years that it was time to look uh, at a new challenge. And mm-hmm. I ended up uh, speaking to a company called Acrolinx. Uh, they are based in Berlin. Uh, they are also a content optimization software company, mm. but they optimize for content clarity. Uh, so think about, you know, post-sale technical documentation, the importance that that, that content can be right. clearly understood. Right. Um, yes. Yeah. And uh, I, made, I made the leap uh, to, to Acrolinx in the beginning of 2016. And again, there was an expansion of, there was a learning opportunity that was associated with that. Uh, to that point, uh, my career in sales had been had been limited to North America. Uh, moving into Acrolinx, uh, I was going to lead the global sales organization, uh, and I felt that that was you know kind of the next step uh, I wanted to take. And you know we had incredible success there, doubled revenues uh, over a period of about two years, uh, and I really enjoyed my time there. Um, but in candor, uh, the living in Virginia, having the majority of my clients out on the West Coast, uh, yeah, tech companies, and working for a company based in Berlin, um, it was it was demanding. Um, yeah. And uh, after three years, um, I I had the opportunity to make the jump to to market mm-hmm. views, uh, which I right. feel really blessed about. Right. So what was it about Market Muse that attracted you? Um, you know, I remember in the interview, my first interview, um, talking to uh, Aki, who you referenced earlier, and I asked Aki, you know, what he felt was the most rewarding part of working at Market Muse. And he said, every day, what everyone does matters. And I had gone into those conversations, frankly, concerned uh, about Market Muse just because it was a really small company. I mean, I think that at the time they were about 1.8 million in revenue. Mm-hmm. And, you know, frankly, I'm not a kid. You could see that. I was in my 50s going, oh God, you know, do I really want to? <laughs> I mean, there's a startup and then there's, wow. Um, yeah. You know, do I want to take that leap? And I remember that sentence from Aki turned my concern into excitement. Mm. And that led me to a point where I really focused less on the size of the company and more on, on the opportunity. Uh, and what I saw in, in Market Muse was you know, a company that was focused on op- optimizing marketing content, which I knew was going to become more and more important. I mean, I remember I remember attending a, a conference uh, my last year at Acrolinx, and the one of the speakers talked about the fact that more content had been created in the last five years than in the history of man up to 
2014. I mean, which is staggering to think about it. I mean, you think about, I mean, and that's not only written content, it's, you know, audio content, podcasts, things like we're doing here. It's Mm -hmm. photos, right? But clearly content was exploding. Marketing content was exploding. And when I looked at Market Muse, I saw a solution that was relatively turnkey and quick to value which drove business impact. And I felt I could join a bunch of really wonderful, uh, talented people and I could make a difference. I could help. Right. And and that was why I decided to join. Got it. So, and, and you moved, you know, it, it, it was just two years before you were promoted uh, up into the CEO role. What was it about you that had, I mean, who, and who did you succeed? So I succeeded Aki. Um, okay. Aki, uh, you know, we've talked about him and I mean, he's a friend of mine. I, I, I nothing but incredibly positive things uh, Mm -hmm. to say about him. Um, I think he would also acknowledge that, you know, as we, as we entered 2020, you know, we, it was a critical time. Yeah. Uh, We had doubled revenues year over year in 2019. Um, We had plans to do the same thing in 2020. We hired against that. You may have seen in your research that we closed around. Uh, in mm-hmm. January of 2020. Uh, so we were using that money and, and using it quickly to scale the business. And then the second week of March happened, right? The the pandemic popped. Yes, we, we remember it well. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I know there are some industries that, that thrived during the pandemic. Uh, yeah. Companies that sell, sold into marketing and content teams did not thrive during the pandemic. I can promise you that. Um, and, you know, the company had some critical choices to make. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think, you know, frankly, it was Aki. It was the leadership team. It was our board. Um, they felt that my, my white hair, you know, my 20, 25 years at that point yeah, was of, a benefit. of leadership experience yeah. uh, was something they needed to lean into. And, yeah. you know, I'll yeah. just add that, you know, I, I didn't aspire to, you know, become a CEO. And I yeah. guess if I ever let my mind go there, I always thought that if it happened, I would be hired to move to a company and take on that role. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, it was incredibly meaningful to me, meaningful to me to have mm-hmm. people work with me for two years and based on that experience, decide that I was the guy. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's a responsibility that that, you know, I am mindful of, of every day. You know, I've got 30 folks that rely on me uh, so they can provide for their families. I've got investors and board members that are also relying on me. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's an honor to be in the role. Yeah. So, you, you know, you talked a little bit about transitioning from, you know, wanting to make a transition from sales leader to business leader. And, you know, one of the things I I talk a lot about, and of course I've experienced in my 30 years in the business, is companies promoting people and then not giving them the support and the training and the coaching that they need to succeed, right? So, you know, uh, you you moved from an individual contributor to a sales leader while at Gartner. I'm curious, did they give you training to become a good sales leader? Yes. Or did Um, you just have to figure it out on your own? Well, I mean, I, I think, th- I mean, I, I think that's a two-way street. I mean, I think that's really yeah. important to point out, right? Yes. The company, I mean, we, we've seen the classic, you know, 
bad sales leadership 101, right? Well, Where you take the best individual contributor. That's why I mentioned this. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You decide that they're going to be a great sales leader. Well, the things that made them a great individual con- contributor may mean that they're not going to be that's right. An effective leader. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? Mm-hmm. But when when that promotion happens, you know, the company has to be thoughtful in making the decision to make the promotion. And the right. individual has to be thoughtful in saying, is this really what I want to do? And for me, mm-hmm. you know, I was, you know, I clearly don't, I'm not as active as I used to be, but I was very, very fitness active, very sports minded. I played on a lot of different teams and a lot of different sports mm-hmm. growing up and into my adulthood. And I had always mm-hmm. gravitated to leadership. I, I had yeah. always been really fulfilled by seeing an individual achieve more than they thought they were capable of because of coaching, mentoring, guidance that they received. And I felt like it was a, a perfect fit uh, for me. And I was blessed to work for a company like Gartner. I mean, at the time, and I know this is going back a lot of years, yeah. but you know, most of sales leadership at Gartner had come to Gartner from companies like Xerox and IBM, which were known to have yeah, of course. Uh, incredible organizations, incredible training. Yep. Yep. Th- those who are young don't know that, but it's, yeah. I mean, Xerox Linear was also that way. Amazing training those two companies provided. Some of the best salespeople I know came out of those companies long, long ago. Yeah. And those people, those are the people that taught me, right? And, right. you Got know, I, I, I can't understate the benefit that provided mm-hmm. me. You know, I went into subsequent roles and, you know, I would say, hey, why don't we do this? And everybody would be like, oh, my God, what a great idea. It wasn't a great idea. It was what I had learned and what had right. been proven to be successful. And all yeah. I was doing was kind of spreading the gospel. Uh-huh. Chuck, what would you say have been, you know, were the biggest challenges for you moving from, if there were any, sales leadership to business leadership? Um, you know, the great question. And I would honestly say it's somewhat related to what we just talked about, about when okay. you get promoted it not only being you need to be trained, but you also, you have a responsibility to learn, right? And, and I, you know, I, I was just humbled and thrilled to have the opportunity to move into this role, but I went in with my eyes wide open, you know, and I think one critical, the most critical thing for personal growth, personal or professional growth is to be able to look in the mirror and don't and not see what you want to see, but see what's really there, right? And be able to acknowledge strengths, which in this case, mm-hmm. for a company our side, ex- 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 extensive sales leadership, mm-hmm. operational skills, building a mm-hmm. team like I built at at Rosetta Stone and then later at Acrolinx, all those all those experiences were going to serve me well in this role. Conversely, I had a liberal arts degree. I'd worked in sales my entire career. Yeah. I'm not a finance guy. You know, my my experience in product and engineering, you know, I I had I had big gaps that I had to close to be effective in the role. And I think to make that transition you have to own the stuff mm-hmm. that you don't know 
and work to close those gaps. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't see that as a weakness. You know, you walk into a room and yeah. say, hey, this ain't my strength. You know, I need help. You know, so mm-hmm. at Market Muse, that meant sitting with our lead content strategist when I first joined the company to learn about SEO. Yeah. Because right. I, 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 di- I wasn't. I did not have the knowledge and expertise that I needed to be consultative, right? So you need to understand what are my gaps? What are my areas of weakness that could prevent me from being successful? And then you got to work on that every day. Yeah, that's really terrific. Um, Tell me a little bit about who your ideal customer is. Our ideal customer is, is... a a content creator, a content marketer, a content strategist, you know, SEO professional that's working in an organization where content mm-hmm. is a critical part of their go-to-market. Right. And the reason I say that is not because it enables us to like sell big, bigger deals. I mean, maybe it does. But when I get asked by investors, or when I'm in my board meeting and I'm talking about business results and we talk about churn, the leading thing that drives a, a client to not renew with us mm-hmm. is their lack of commitment to content creation. You know, a lot of folks turn around, they're like, yeah, we got to create content. Creating content, effective content, it's hard. I know I go through the same thing myself. Yeah, it's really hard to do, right? And we are enabling technology, right? But you still need you still need to invest in the resources, editors, writers. You still need to invest in the content strategists, content marketers. You still need to invest in the SEO Mm -hmm. professionals, and you have to have their activities tied to business goals and Mm -hmm. be committed to execution on that project. And if you do that. We can enable exponential success, but if you're just like, yeah, this is this is too hard. Maybe we'll just do paid. We can't help you. What is your financial model? Um, annually renewable SaaS model. So um, it you know it's subscription based. Uh, the the lever. Uh, well, there's a couple of levers, but the primary lever is size of content inventory, right? Because that. That mm-hmm. is what reveals scale or right. magnitude of scale. Um, and that scale not only is predictive in, in us being able to understand the amount of quantified value that we can deliver, but in full transparency, it's also aligned with the data costs that we incur for having that company's content inventory in, in our platform. Um, the other variable was the secondary variable are our seats. So when, yeah. when a company joins, they get up to 10 seats as a part of that annual subscription. If they have more people than that, that want to, want to subscribe, then, yeah, then there's, there's up. additional charges. So, so what, what size of companies, you know, what, where's your sweet spot there? Is it, is it a number of employees, revenues, you know, what? Well, we have two. We have two different offerings. Uh, we have yeah. an offering that we call standard, which is really for for small organizations. Uh, what I'd and say how do you small, define small? 
yeah. small enterprises, you know, a couple of people creating content, you know, even, even, you know, one, two person shops, whether those okay. are, those are companies or, or agencies. Um, so, you know, again, talking about scale, that is modest scale and our solution has to be structured and priced in a way where, um, we can deliver ROI on that and it's affordable to them. We then have our premium offering, which is more, mm-hmm. you know, SMB. So, you know, midsize enterprise to, to larger enterprise. Um, mm-hmm. and that starts at, at an annual price of $12,000 a year. Uh, but given, given that variable really of content inventory, <laughs> when you think about it, yeah. yeah, but given that size of, of, of inventory, we do have, we do have, I, I think it's seven clients right now that spend over a hundred thousand dollars with us a year. So it, it really, it, you know, it's dependent on, on how much content they're, they're, they're optimizing yeah. and managing and how much content they're creating. Mm-hmm. And, and does the platform help them with that optimization? Is that it? Yeah. So I mean, in, among other I'll things, I'll kind of walk you through the yeah. workflow. So first thing that happens when a, an organization becomes a client of Market Muse is we load their content inventory into our platform. Mm-hmm. That enables the first of, of two primary value props. And that okay. first value prop is content strategy, content planning, right? Everybody talks about content creation, you know, thinking about somebody sitting at their, you know, in front of their keyboard. That's not where content creation starts. Content creation starts with a bunch of people in a room saying, what the hell should we write about? Right. Mm-hmm. Typically, those conversations are very subjective and they're not yeah. informed with data. Right. Yeah. What we do is provide that data. The data so they are sure. able to look at their existing content and understand how that content is performing and why it's performing that way. So we can provide insights. We can provide insights such mm-hmm. as, you know, given given the topical authority they've created through their existing content, this particular piece of content is written about the right thing, but it's underperforming because it's not optimized. Right? And then and then we can show them how to adjust or edit that content so that it'll perform as it, it should. We can Love also it. identify gaps in their content inventory where we know very prescriptively if they write on those topics, that content will perform, right? So those people are sitting in a room, they're building out the content calendar based on that information, right? What's our low-hanging fruit? What are the topics that we can focus on where we're going to get our biggest lift with the least mm-hmm. amount of effort behind it, right? So once they have that content calendar set up, they can bring that over to their writers and editors and say, okay, this is what we're going to write about. Those writers and editors are also in Market Muse. Mm-hmm. And in that, we're giving them, again, very prescriptive information about exactly how to write that content. Now, typically, writers, their first reaction is, what, are you going to write for me? No, we're not. <laughs> what we're actually going to do, though, is we're going to make you a hell of a lot more efficient with the part of writing that you don't like, like research, right. for example. Right. Right. So you can spend more of your time writing. Right. We'll be we'll tell them this piece of content should be around 2000 words long. Mm-hmm. These are the subtopics that you need to cover. And in each subtopic, this is the depth 
Got it. With which you need to cover these particular t- this particular topic. When we're saying yeah. for that, when we're recommending that they introduce a particular concept, let's say five or mm-hmm. six time times, we're also going to provide them with contextual variances, which are different ways to introduce that topic in a way that's right. not redundant. Yeah. And will engage their audience. And then we can yeah. we can even get into, you know listing for them the questions they need to answer because somebody that does Mm -hmm. a search on this topic, this is the information they're looking for. And you want to make sure you're writing in a way that's aligned with the intent of the reader. And then we can even provide them with technical SEO recommendations. You know, these are the internal pieces that you've already created that you should link to. And these are perhaps some external non-competitive pieces of content that you should link to because it will enhance your topical authority and it will enhance the traffic that you you yield from mm-hmm. this content. Yeah. Uh, I want to ask you one more thing about content, Chuck. Um, sure. You know, there are a lot of people out there, and I noticed this, you know, doing the, let's call it pay to play, right? Um, where, you know, you pay the journal or, you know, the, the whoever it is, uh, X amount of money a year, and they'll basically publish anything you write. <laughs> Um, you know, as a, as a content producer myself, I refuse to do pay to play because I think it, it really negates any, um, authority (laughs) that one really has, right? Because they'll take it. And I've read things by people in pay to play. And I think, gosh, you know, who's consuming this and do they believe it? And, and, you know, I'm, I just wonder, is there, is there a way, you know, how do you educate the public on how to consume content? Well, is that, or is that like too long of a question to answer? <laughs> well, you know, I think what, I, I think what I'm, what I'm gleaning from your question is how do you advocate for the value of organic content right. versus right. paid? And right. to me, I mean, look, people want to do paid, you know, they're looking for, you know, quantified bang for their buck. I get it. I get it. But it, it's kind of the same thing that we talked about earlier about, you know, just getting a keyword database and, you know, stuffing yeah. your little heart away. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's what's the objective? You know, is, is the objective just to get eyeballs? Or is the objective to be focused on getting those eyeballs but then driving the behavior or the action that you want. And to right. me, that's the distinction. Well, and, and I would agree with that. So uh, you've got about 30 employees now. Um, so you're still a fairly small company. Um, yeah. You know, what are, your, what are your growth plans here over the next 12 to 24 months? Um, and tell me a little bit about your talent strategy, especially since, you know, you've taken over. So um, first, in, ter- in terms of growth strategy, um, we've, we made a decision, um, earlier this year that we, we needed to evolve. Mm-hmm. Um, we, as a VC funded company, um, had spent a lot of years growing as quickly as we possibly could, um, at the, ex- in the short term, at the expense of all else. Sure. Um, and, you know, I get it. That's the game, right? You need, you need to grow faster to, to increase your valuation and make sure you, you provide your investors with that return. 
But in moving into this role, what I felt we had done is to, to an extreme, compromised the, the long-term interests of the company to achieve those, those short-term goals. And achieving those short-term goals, we'd gotten into some bad habits to just be very transparent, you know, yeah. relative to discipline around the kind of deals that we wrote. Um, you know, less mm-hmm. about selling the platform and, and too much customization. Uh, we'd also, with a, a frenetic um, product roadmap, had, had gone after release, after release, after release as quickly as, as possible. And we'd built a platform with a lot of technical debt um, that made further releases and and upgrades much more difficult and and fraught than they should be right so we made a decision to slow down growth not chase after additional raises and focus on doing what we need to do to build the foundation of a really solid company so that's manifested itself in a couple ways i think the most important one for me to share with you today is that all the product development that we've done over the last 18 months has been about one thing, which is imp- improving the in-platform experience that we offer our clients. Uh, mm-hmm. So that has meant uh, simplification of the platform. It has meant focus on improving query speed. And all of this, you know, we've had several releases over the past couple months but it's all been in the interest of what's coming up here in a couple of weeks, which is our, our really most significant product release in the last four years, which is a complete UX redesign of uh, the platform to love it. simplify yeah. the experience, simplify the workflows, uh, mm-hmm. and make the platform more intuitive, easier to adopt, and easier to master. And we're, we're really excited about that. And just to kind of tie a bow on the question, um, you know, that was something we would not have had the luxury of doing um, if we had been continuing to chase capital. Got it. That's fantastic. So tell me, have you experienced much turnover? You know, again, since you've taken over the helm, let's say. Yeah, no, we, and you know, we did. Um, and, and when that happened was, was late last year, early this year. I mean, you you know, you probably you say late last year. Are we talking twenty one or twenty two? <laughs> twenty one into twenty two. Thank you. Okay, that's Sorry. right. January yeah, I, I know. You know, early in the year, none of us are really. We always still talk about this year as in yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, you're you're as aware of this. I, I trust as 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 I am, which is that you know the the employment market went crazy, right? And mm-hmm. you know, we as a small startup. You know, we frankly have never paid market. You know, we've also yeah. it's, it's been market, and, and you know, it's been compensation plus plus equity uh, plus options, right. and mm-hmm. you know, the the money being thrown around uh, early, you know, first six nine months mm-hmm. of 2021 was not something that we could compete with, and we mm-hmm. knew that, and I hated it because you know we lost some we lost some good people that we we really didn't want to lose. Um, but you know, we've, that has stabilized over the last, I don't know, at this point, say four five, six months. And the reason it's stabilized is because we, we have people here. Yes. They need to provide for their families. They want to be fairly compensated, 
but they believe in that strategy that I just articulated to you. They believe in the path that we're following and, right. um, you know, where we went through it, but, you know, we've been, you know, I, I, I'm trying to think, you know, regrettable loss. And I, I'd say it was probably early summer was the last one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's good. And, and, you know, that, you know, what I'm, what I'm hearing out of you from you is really, um, getting clearer. It sounds like on your talent strategy, right? And, and the point is, is people do need money to make a living. Yeah. Um, the question is there are, there are those who understand that a lot of startups cannot, most startups can't pay market rate, you know, unless they've been given obscene amounts of, you know, investment. Um, you have to look at the long term of, you know, what's the exit here? Yeah. You know, is it, is it an IPO? Is it an acquisition? And what's that equity going to be worth then? And, and that is what we hammer home all the time. And I will also say, also say as, as a last part of that talent strategy, and I think it's, it's so important, you know, everybody looks, everybody, you know, talks about their company and says, yeah, we're customer centric. And everybody yeah. says, yeah, we treat our, we treat our employees well, but yeah, that's right. They do. How many companies really do that? Right. And we, <laughs> you know, we not are, enough, which is why I'm in business. <laughs> yeah. And you know, our focus really. is on doing the right thing the right way. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, we, we look for that's culture ads, important. not culture fits. And mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, the people, right. you know, if, if I were to pull, you know, five or six of my employees onto this call what you would hear is that they feel valued Mm -hmm. despite the, you know, the transition we've had to make since the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, as difficult times emerged and confronted the business, we did not compromise our values and take the path of expediency. You know, we, 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 remain bound to the commitments we've made to our people and, and they believe in us. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's fantastic. Um, is there anything that, uh, I haven't asked you that you wanted to uh, talk about? You know, I, I, I guess the thing that I, I would share is, you know, we were talking about the, we were talking about the mutual responsibility that a company has uh, to train and develop their people uh, and having that connected to a responsibility on the part of the individual contributors drive. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, think the, I think the most critical element of that is, is introspection. You know, I, I make mistakes every day. We all do. We all do. Yeah. Right. But what do the people that lack introspection, it's never their fault. It's if things are going great, it's because they did it. If things are, if things are challenging, it's never their fault. It's always somebody else's. So they don't grow because they've got no reason to change. Right. Right. Our, we talk about talent strategy. The thing we test for more than anything is the gift of introspection. I want to mm-hmm. I want to hear people acknowledge that they have failed. What is failure? It's a learning opportunity. 
What I ask of my people is to make new mistakes. Don't make mm-hmm. the same ones over and over again. Then we got a problem, right? Right. Definition of insanity. <laughs> right. Make make new ones. Learn right. from them. And mm-hmm. as an in, as individuals and as a collection of individuals, we get better from that. And and that's what right. we focus on. That's fantastic. Well, uh, Chuck Frydenborg, CEO of Market Muse. Um, I'm so glad that we got to do this. And uh, it took, <laughs> as we both know, it took several attempts to get us on this call together. Yep. So you did it. Uh, I, re- I really want to thank you because uh, this was a great conversation and I've been looking forward to it for some time. Well, Carol, I enjoyed it and uh, would, you know, jump at the opportunity to join you again in the future. It's been fun. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.